You are listening to the sermon podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Church in Savannah. We are an Episcopal congregation in the Diocese of Georgia, and you can find out more about us by visiting www.stmichaelsavannah.com. This is a really challenging passage to preach. <laughs> uh, this isn't a nice, like, easygoing Jesus kind of passage. This is one of those passages where he's really challenging his followers. So thank you, Kevin, for helping me preach today. <laughs> it's not really his fault. I volunteered. Um, okay, so you might wonder why this is so challenging. Well, at the beginning of the Gospel passage, it's one of those times when Jesus is really focused on going to Jerusalem. This is kind of a buzzkill, because everybody's really excited about this Messiah guy doing really cool things. He's casting out demons, he's healing people, and now he's talking about Jerusalem. And he's really alluding to his own death sentence. This is quite a killjoy. As the text says, on their way, Jesus and his followers entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And he's heading toward his death at the hands of the status quo folks who don't like his inclusive, nomadic, kind of out-of-the-box thinking. And the Samaritans avoid it like the plague. It's sort of like how, when I was in Forsyth Park yesterday, I avoided those ladies with the watchtower. <laughs> we know what you're about, and we're not going to have any of it. Um, and I really thought to myself, I'm not wearing priest clothes, so they really don't know who they're asking. Um, how interesting. Uh, okay, so there are four different responses to Jesus in this passage, and like I mentioned, the Samaritans, the first is avoidance, you know, avoiding Jesus like the plague. The second is anger. Notice what the disciples do when the Samaritans avoid Jesus. The disciples, you know, standing up for their friend and teacher, what do they do? Verse 54, when his disciples James and John, the hotheads, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The second response to Jesus and his interactions with others is anger, and you see it right here. But Jesus isn't having any of it. As the text says, verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. The third response to Jesus is shallow acceptance. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And we know from the biblical narrative that this person likely does not follow Jesus wherever he goes because we know that Jesus is mostly, except for a few people, is abandoned at the cross. And then Jesus gives this cryptic answer, laden with metaphor and dripping with foreshadowing for the crucifixion. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about how on the cross he has nowhere to lay his head. That's where those, the Greek word, the same Greek words are used here as they are when it says that he breathed his last, you know, laid his head. 
Perhaps he knew that this person was flippantly talking about he or she, how he or she would go to the ends of the earth for Jesus, and Jesus knows that people have faint hearts and get kind of flighty when faced with commitment. <laughs> the fourth response to Jesus in this passage is delay, or as it's commonly known as procrastination. Verse 59, to another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and marry my father. A very um, respectable thing to ask. And in verse 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. This text is hard to preach because Jesus is saying some really weird stuff here. Jesus says to them, verse 60, let the, bury, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And in verse 62, he says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In both instances, the goal is proclaiming the kingdom of God, and neither of these procrastinators is doing it. Jesus is being strident and stringent. He's revealing the irritating nature of the gospel. The irritating nature of God's dream, because God's dream for humanity comes at a cost, mostly to Jesus, and it isn't pretty or easy to talk about. No wonder people respond to Jesus with avoidance, anger, shallow acceptance, and delay. He does some weird stuff, some countercultural things. He's asking people to betray their ancient traditions of burying their dead and properly saying goodbye to the family. They're getting their affairs in order, and Jesus is challenging them on it. Just like in the next Bible passage after this gospel reading, he challenges his 70 disciples to go out, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, and he tells them, quote, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. No sandals. There we go. Um, all this highlights the fact that God's dream for a, a renewed humanity will require us to cut ties with some things we love. It will require us to cut ties with some things we love and to embrace some things we do not yet love or might never love. The God's dream for a renewed humanity will require us to cut ties with some things we love and to embrace some things we do not yet enjoy. The gospel requires people to go outside their norm to find a new normal in the kingdom and ways of God. Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm preaching to myself, mostly, <laughs> here, and that's why it's been so difficult to preach. But I'm sure folks can uh, sympathize with me that there have been times when God has asked you to go outside your normal, go outside your typical day-to-day -day life. In this specific passage, Jesus is challenging his followers to question their commitments to legacy and inheritance that comes with familial ties. He's asking us to question the importance of some of our most cherished traditions. And this is a very strange God, indeed. Have you ever heard someone say, I know I've said it in the past, we don't need religion, we just need to love. Or, this kind of goes along with that, I'm spiritual, not religious. 
or I just try to be a good person. I've said all these things in my life. Uh, the problem is, and what Jesus is showing here, is he's exposing the fact that nobody can simply do this. Things get in the way of love. Someone dies, and you have to take care of all that goes with that. Um, you want to say goodbye to your family. I mean, you want to, to go out and be loving and be super spiritual, but then uh, life gets in the way. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you just really want to get back at them. You know what I mean? Like, someone, uh, I can think of an instance when someone uh, just took off my uh, rear view mirror in my car and didn't leave a note. You know, those are the times when life gets in the way and it's, and it's too hard to just be spiritual and just be too, just to be loving. You know, those are the times that are really challenging. And Jesus is showing us here that it's one of the hardest things to do is to show up to every situation with love, the kind of love that God has. We love our stuff, our traditions, our teams, our patterns of doing things, our upbringing, our schedule, or whatever it, whatever it may be, more than we love love, with a capital L. We get tired and scared and we mess up and we snap at each other. We tell Jesus, no thank you, and get back on with our life. I've done that. I've done that. Nobody can just exude love at all times with all people. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Nobody's perfect, in other words. And in the case of the Bible story for today, we avoid, we get angry, we're shallow, and we procrastinate our love of God and neighbor. And every single one who encounters Jesus on his journey in the Bible is fallible in some way. But the good news is that that's okay. God expects that of us. God understands our fallible nature. And the good news is that that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of religion or spirituality, and it's not the end of you or me. Jesus walks among us and within us anyway, in ways and in people and in situations we least expect. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem in this passage to show that life can come out of death and that all things, even crusty religion and cranky religious people like myself, even outsiders and strangers and fallible people of all sorts can be reconciled to each other and God. In other words, God loves surprises. And that's the magnificent part of the gospel. That's what we celebrate here when we gather. You know, when I think about how God loves surprises, I think about how I would have never, when I was 13 year old, 13 years old, I would have never imagined that I'd be standing here in a church as a priest preaching to church people. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I would have never guessed that I would have lived in Georgia. I was afraid of Southerners. <laughs> when I got accepted to Duke and I decided I was going to move to North Carolina from Pittsburgh, I said to my dad, but it's the South. Little did I realize that Durham is not the South. <laughs> this Savannah is the South. Um, yeah, I would have never imagined that I would have ever even become a Christian. 
God loves to turn things upside down and inside out and to lead us where we really don't want to go. As one of my mentors says, um, if you're sick to your stomach and you want to run away, it's probably the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whew. Just ask Elisha from this morning's uh, Old Testament passage. So, it's my last sermon here, and I have to say that I've had a blast getting to know you as a congregation, as individuals, as families, as my adopted family, um, as a newcomer to Savannah. And I know, as I'm looking ahead with Jesus, I'm reacting in all four of those negative ways, like the people in the text. I'm avoiding the reality that I'm leaving and going on to different things. I'm frustrated by the amount of uncertainty that's in head, ahead of me. I'm procrastinating, packing up my things, and I'm all while saying I'm a follower of Jesus and saying no thank you to the watchtower people. <laughs> Oh, man. And I'm going to speak at the brunch about what I'll be doing next, um, so we can talk about that later. But the good news is that Jesus is in the midst of all of that, and he's always in the midst of us. That the Spirit is on the move, whether we like it or not. We're always pilgrims and nomads on this earth, even if we don't change our address. We can't stay where we are or who we are for very long, because the next horizon always beckons, even when we don't want it to. The new normal awaits. The next adventure awaits, even if we're tear-streaked and sobbing, even when we're scared and skeptical, even when it seems like everything is coming apart, there's something holy and transcendent about that. And the Spirit of God is with us and among us. So I guess my last sermon for you all could be summarized by me saying, it's okay to avoid Jesus and to be angry and to be shallow and to be a procrastinator, but God loves you too much to keep you as you are. And he's showing you the next adventure and is going to be with you every step of the way. Amen. Amen.